Good morning, everyone. It's uh, just so nice to be here with nothing else to do except to think and talk about Krishna and also to honor the appearance of Krishna in his archa form, who likes to live in the homes of devotees. In fact, Mahabrabhu didn't follow the standard rules of society in his time, which were that you could only go to the house of a brahmana to take prasad. He'd go to the house of his devotees, regardless of what kind of background they came from. Based on the principle of the Bhagavad, kasadaya because of the power of Lord Vishnu that comes through his devotees, one's following the Guru Parampara and following the orders of Krishna as given down through the disciplic uh, the line, then one becomes uh, completely purified. doesn't matter. Kirata, Huranda, Pulinda, if you're in any of these groups, you can raise your hand. Pulinda, Pulukasha, all of the above. Go to 23andMe and find out for, you, for yourself. That's the genetic testing. They tell you what, what you're a mix of. And in this age, nobody's a pure mix of anything. It's all mixed up. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for instance, went to the house of Subhuti Roy, who was from a lower caste, but he was a pure devotee. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu honored him by going to his house. So the appearance of Krishna in our home as Archa is extremely important. Out of the 64 items of devotional service, there are five which are particularly potent and by the performance of which even a little bit one can attain perfection in devotional service. And we'll leave Didi worship for last, but let's name the first four. Residing in the holy place, chanting Hare Krishna, Reading Srimad Bhagavatam in the association of like-minded devotees who are more advanced than oneself. Associating with devotees and deity worship, archa. This is a tradition that goes back many, many generations. So we know Madhavendra Puri had gone to Vrindavan and he was completely fixed on Krishna 24 hours a day. In fact, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Ananyas chintayantamam yejana paripasate tesham nityadyuktanam yogakshemam baham yaham. When somebody has their consciousness fully absorbed in me, Krishna says, then for that person I, Bahamiya, I personally maintain them. He has great affection, Krishna. Uh, does for anyone who even says Hare Krishna. In fact, he's inclined towards such a person that he will remove mountains of sins if someone even accidentally says Hare Krishna. <coughs> what to speak of somebody is fully dedicated to Krishna and gives their heart and soul to chanting his names and thinking of him. And such was the case with Srila Madhavendrapuri when he came to Vrindavan and he was sitting thinking of Krishna. Then uh, Krishna appeared. He didn't know at the time, Madhavendra Puri, but young boy with a pot of milk 
and said, nobody fasts in our town. How did you know I was fasting? And the boy had some charming words for him and then disappeared. And he was left holding the milk, which he drank, and then dozed a little bit. And in his dozing, he had a dream that Gopal had come to him and said that I'm in the bushes nearby here. I was transferred here under fear of attack from outside forces, and now I've been here waiting for you to come find me. And he gave him directions how to find him in the brush of the Vraj. And when he awoke from his dream, he gathered together some locals who brought their machetes, and they came and cut through the brush. And they dug where Srila Madhavendra Puri indicated, and they found the deity there, who then was brought out and put on a slab of stone, actually a Giriraj Shila on Govardhan Hill. And there they began to uh, do some Abhishek, like we're going to do today. And as uh, news got out in the Vraj, as everyone in Vrindavan is always eager to hear some news about Krishna. In the material world, everyone wants to hear some news about politics or sports. But in Vrindavan, everyone wants to hear what's the latest about Krishna. And when they hear he's appeared somewhere, what to speak of like this, a miraculous story, they all came to see him and were charmed by his smiling face. As Lord Kapiladev says in the third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, when devotees come from anywhere, even those who are Kanishtadikaris, and they see the smiling face of the Lord in the temple, or wherever he may be, they become imperceptibly liberated just by being there, offering obeisances, smelling the incense. This is the importance of deity worship. The people in general have to have a place where they can come and see Krishna. Based on the principle, as given in the fourth canto of the Sri Bhagavatam, yet para pankacha vilasa vilasya bhaktya, karmashrayam gratitam, Udgratayanti Santa, Tadvanna Rikta Matayo, Matayo Pirudha, Shotoganas Tamaranam Bajavasadevam. The material world is very strong, don't you think? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being is extra strength, like you get extra strength products at the store. So, how strong is the power of illusion in the material world? On a scale of 1 to 10, if you're marketing it, how, how extra strength would it be? 10 plus. 10 plus. So Maya 10 plus. <laughs> it's very strong. Karma shrayam grati Yet there's a, 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 we're tied up tight. And even those who try to get liberated from this material by untying themselves through various uh, ways of fixing their mind on the impersonal form of the Lord, drilling their respiration, controlling their senses militantly. At some point, the power of the material world washes them away, and they again find themselves engaged in the illusion of the material world. And they're attracted by the so-called vilas, or the happiness of the material world. But for the devotees who have deity worship, and they can come see how beautiful Krishna's lotus feet are, how nice it is to take a little drop of charnamrita, and you see, you're the lucky one, third one in line, and you get the Tulsi leaf also. And then you're met, as you take that, Karimitaharanam Sarav Vyari Marashanam Vishnu Prodakam Vidva Shirasha Dariyam Yaham. You say the mantra that this is 
deathless nectar I'm taking now. And you're thinking, oh, that, that Tulsi leaf touched Krishna's lotus feet. For those who are pujaris and they bathe the Lord, they see every morning the greatest show on earth, that the Lord's smiling, he's in a little gumsha, nobody else gets to see him in a gumsha except for the pujari, and they're bathing him. There are bells ringing, conches blowing, smell of incense, there's lamps burning, and then Krishna's smiling and substances are running down his lotus face, down his torso, on his lotus feet, uh, Tulsi leaf sticks, and the pujari is thinking, later I'm getting that. And so there's a vilas, there's a, there's a happiness, enjoyment for the devotees who worship the deity. Yet pada pankacha palasa, the, the, the Lord's lotus feet. There has to be conception of the Lord's lotus feet as lotus eyes. Yene ravindaksha vamuktamaninas toyasta bhavada vashudha budeya. Otherwise, we're in, we remain impure, always. Unless we're able to look meditate on the lotus-eyed Lord, then all other forms of liberation we may imagine ourselves in will fall down from. The one stable place is when we're able to enter into the enjoyment of serving Krishna's lotus feet, especially in his deity form. So Madhavendrapuri had put the deity on the hill and then the residents of Vrindavan came there and they all wanted to do something for him. Some, they brought some rice, and they, others brought some puris. And then some people came and said, well, let's, let's build them a little shelter. And they built a shelter. And pretty soon a, sh- a temple was growing up around the deity. And then two Bengalis came out of seemingly nowhere. And Madhavendrapuri saw that they were first class. And so he engaged them in worshipping the deity. And as we know, he then got an instruction to go get sandalwood paste for, for the deity. And it, great labor, carrying that as he was able to get the papers for it and then carry it back. He was very pleased in laboring for the deity. So there are different aspects to the deity worship that we can engage in that actually engage our physical senses. There are five stages of worshiping the deity. The first one is called Abhigamana, which means to come to the temple. If there wasn't a temple, there'd be no temple to come to. That's algebra. And, and when there is a temple to come to, then everything in the town, everything in the community is centered around coming to see, see the deity. Abhigamana means that I, I come and I ring the bell. This letting the Lord know that I've, I've come for you to see me. I'm, I'm showing up here so you can cast your glance upon me. I'm here, I'm here, I made it. Made it through the traffic, I made it through the woods, whatever it is, I'm here to see you. And then offering obeisances to the Lord as part of the deity worship. And then standing before the Lord in reverence and being seen by him in, in the temple room. And upadana. Upadana means that there are Items to be gathered together in order to worship the deity. So here in the suburbs, you may walk around and find that people don't grow that many flowers. I think that uh, they're falling behind here in England because there's supposed to be rose gardens everywhere. A few people have them, but I took a long walk this morning in our neighborhood and I saw more trash than I did flowers. (laughs) I mean, people throw something 
But when there's an idea that we have the deity, we have to bring flowers, then there's a reason to grow flowers. Flowers grow for a reason. It's, it's not just some biological accident that flowers grow. They're meant for God. People in the material world think, oh, I'll give this to my sweetheart. I mean, that's all right. But it doesn't give the same fulfillment as it is thinking, I'm going to give this to Krishna. And I have a friend who worships his own deity when he travels. And he's always thinking, where can I steal flowers? <laughs> Any neighborhood we drive through, he's looking and I go, what? And would he see anything? He's saying, I'm coming back there later <laughs> to find the best flowers. And this is the way that Sarvapati Vanir Muktam Tatpratvena Nirmalam Hrishi Kena Hrishi Kesha Sevanam Bhakti Rujate. This is a lofty philosophy we're propagating here that yes, God is a person and we can have a relationship with him, but what's the access to it? The access is through deity worship. You could actually go get a flower, and Krishna says in the Gita, he encourages us, Patram Pushvam Palam Toyam Yome Bhaktiya Prayachati Taram Bhaktiya Paritam Ashnami Paritatmana. You bring it to me, I'll be so grateful. I'll smell it, I'll taste it, whatever you bring. I'll reciprocate that you took the trouble to bring me a little something. So the devotees feel happy in this process of gathering together. Upadana means they, they go around and they find the best of things. They're searching the world. When you go to a tourist area, what do most people do when they go to a tourist area besides try to get a tan? They shop. And tourist areas, there's all these shopping places. It's the worst torture in the world, going shopping, unless you're shopping for Krishna. Then you can look everywhere in these gift shops and think there's all these special things. People will buy a knick-knack, doodad, a little jewel, something to wear. But if you have a deity, then you're thinking, what can I get? What can I get? Oh, he's going to look good in that. I'm going to get this little jewel. You can go to exotic places. You go to Taiwan and find out where are the best pieces of costume jewelry that I can find, all the crystals and these types of things. And it's okay, the Atyahara that Rupa Goswami warns against, don't over-collect, it's okay for the deity. You can be in that mode because you're not collecting for yourself. You're going out. Ati-ahara means just like there's extreme sports, there's ex extreme collecting or eating. And we don't do that. But for the deity... We want him to eat more. After all, in Jagannath Puri, they're feeding him, what is it, 56, 55, 54 times a day, 56 times a day. And, the, and he'll keep eating. And, the, and no, everyone else, though, they'll be defeated, but not Jagannath. He's like, okay, that's it. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> Even Mahaprabhu, when his servant Govinda was accepting offerings from all the devotees, uh, he bring them to Mahaprabhu, and Mahaprabhu said, to, not now, put it over there. And he kept it in a room. And then when Govinda would go out the next day, people would ask him, so, did Mahaprabhu like the offering? Like, yeah, yeah, he liked it. And after a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, he came to Mahaprabhu, I'm in so much anxiety. People are cooking with love and devotion for you. I give it to you. You say, put it in storage. And I have to lie to all the devotees every day. I'm telling them, you loved what they gave. He said, bring it all to me now. And he sat there and he ate it all. It was as fresh as the day that they had brought it. And he ate it. Is it that it? Except for the, except for the Raghavira jelly. There was uh, some special prasadam that came every year from, from Navadri that Damayanti would cook. And her brother Raghava Pandit would carry down with bearers. They put it in special bags and Mahapu every day. He 
he relished it so much. It was dried preparations, and he would take a little bit every day just to remember the love with which Damayanti cooked. So this uh, getting together items for the Lord, there's flowers. When you set up a garden, Bhakti Vinod Thakur speaks about this in his Kitavali, or no, it's in his uh, Sharanagati. He says, you should grow a garden for the, for the deity. And he talks about his garden. He names all the flowers. And then he says, and the empress of the garden is? Tulsi. Yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have all these flowers. I'll get them from all over the world. I'll go to Japan. I'll go to uh, the heavenly planets. Whatever it is, I'll go to find the best smelling flowers in the world. This is a great preoccupation. It really saves you from the grind of working in a cubicle, doesn't it? If you work in a cubicle, and then you, then you have some garden to come home to, come home to, and it's not just to sit there and read the paper, but you're thinking, how are these flowers growing for the Lord? And so, there's flowers, and this is the main opulence of deity worship. Prophet says, when you want opulence in deity worship, it's flowers. Get flowers. Everyone say it. See, you thought I was going to say get books, right? (laughs) See, I'm not a one-trick pony. So, get flowers, grow flowers, find flowers from all over the world, investigate. Where's the best flowers in the world? We found, I used to be a little annoyed, more than a little annoyed at camellia plants. It's the most beautiful flower I've ever seen, almost looks like a lotus, and it's so prolific. But then you smell nothing. And I was depressed about that. Subconsciously, it's a hard time in my life. And then, and then one day, I found out that in Japan, they have camellias that have a scent. And my life took an upturn. And I thought, how am I going to get those? And we found out how to import those special camellias from Japan. And we grew three of them in our yard. And camellia with scent. And this is prolific, and at the right season, altar is covered with these camellia flowers that are beautifully scented. So this can be our preoccupation. You have a little bit of land around, even an apartment, you might have a porch, something like that. Get flowers, grow flowers, it's so opulent. Abhigamana also means you can go get paraphernalia. Where else in the world except Vrindavan can you go and ask somebody, I need a little pair of shoes about this big. If you do that here in London, you go into sports locker or wherever you buy shoes, say, I need a pair of shoes this big. It's like, you're crazy. Get out of here. But in Vrindavan, they get it. And you can collect all kinds of paraphernalia for Krishna. And then the best of sense, saffron, you can get real camphor. Don't use the artificial stuff. It's poisonous. Get the best oils. They don't have any chemicals in them. This can become the preoccupation as for shopping, which is the way that the people uh, keep themselves from going insane in the material world, but shop for Krishna. And then comes yoga. Yoga means when you set up all your paraphernalia, and there's a way to do that so that your mind feels very peaceful because everything, place for everything, everything in its place. You keep all the paraphernalia for Krishna at home in a special drawer, and then he has a special plate, everything necessary to worship him nicely. And then when it's time to do the worship, everything gets set up perfectly, and then you sit and meditate. Nam vipro nacha nara patir napi vaisho 
Naham Barni Nacha Gripatir Napi Baishon Shudra Nikila Paravada Nipuranam Ritabdir Gobi Bartu Parakamala Yor Das Das. We're going to do that over. I can't even remember how it starts. Nam vipro nacha narapatir napi vaisho nishudro. Nam barni nacha gripatir. See, funny thing. I say that verse every day. So this means uh, it's a meditation. That I'm, I'm not my body. I'm just a servant of the Supreme Personality of God. I have no designation. And then there's, there's the Bhuta Shuddhi, purifying the elements in our body because there's a way in which I'm moving about the world I start to identify with my body and I become contaminated so when I sit down to worship Krishna this process of yoga and the five aspects of deity worship means that I re-identify myself as being an eternal servant of the Lord what a relief after fighting off the ego all day long wants to appropriate everything I do and take it and say, look, ta-da, here I am. When you sit before the deity, you can just be yourself. I'm just your servant. I'm here to serve you, to give you all pleasure. And then we feel happy sitting from the deity, orienting ourselves towards Krishna. <laughs> Das, das, and das, ha, ha, ha. And then we have Ija. And so Ija means to do the actual puja. And so we offer various items to the Lord, like sweet-smelling incense. And then we, uh, by the way, with incense, it's just a side note, no need to uh, choke out your family. <laughs> Several years ago, when I was in Denver, Colorado, a couple of uh, the uh, Vaishnavis had, were having some health problems and they went to a local physician and they were having some lung problems and he did x-rays and things like that. And they, he asked them, are you smokers? And they said, certainly not. And then he said, well, you have a smoker's lungs. What kind of environment do you live in? Are you a coal miner? And they said, no. And then he traced it back and they said, we do have incense. Because he had done some research and there are several articles he showed them and they showed me about Buddhist monks. They had a much higher level of lung cancer. Why? Because they were sitting in enclosed rooms burning uh, organic matter. And that's a, a, a recipe for disaster. So I proposed about 10 years ago to the GBC, and it's on the record, two things related to deity worship. And it got written in as a suggestion to all ISKCON centers, at least in North America. I don't know if it made it over here yet. But one of them is that when we offer incense to the Lord, as soon as we offer it, we take the remainder outside. There's two reasons for that. One is you don't need a completely... Um, full room, a room full of smoke. You can't even smell it after a while anyway. It's olfactory overload. <coughs> but if you take it outside, then you can still smell the scent that was offered to the deity. And outside, you may notice this, if we put one stick of incense outside your house, then the whole neighborhood can smell it. Because it's, it diffuses and it goes blocks and blocks and blocks. And people might get a 
laughed at that and say, well, what is that? That's horrible. Because they're used to other kinds of smells. But they get purified by that. So that's one. I highly recommend it. When you offer the stick, don't put it in and then just let it billow into the room. Take it outside and let everybody else appreciate it and let everybody else inside live a long, healthy life. And number two is don't offer flowers that don't have scent. It's an offense to the deity. But you know what insult to injury is? Have you ever heard the term insult to injury? Is you offer a flower that has no scent and then you take it around to the assembly of devotees, 132 of them, and thrust it at their nose to go, nothing, 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 blank, 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 blank. That's not deity worship. Deity worship means to attend to the details. That's Niyamagraha. I just do it because I'm doing it. It's a no-scent flower, and therefore I offer it. No scent to the deity, no scent to the devotees, and so forth. So in Ija, we would very uh, uh, carefully offer to the Lord, very thoughtfully offer the various articles of worship. And there are many to offer. There's to wash the Lord's lotus feet, to have a little mouthwash, then there's some argya, wash his hands, it's offered to kings, argya, it's ceremonial, and then there's maduparka, which is kind of like a, a, a nectarian smoothie, offered the Lord, then there's smearing the Lord's uh, body with oil, and then bathing him in different substances, and then drying him off, putting tilak, and offering Tulsi with chandan, offering chandan, offering um, incense, and then offering naiveja, or giving something to eat to the Lord, and then doing an artik and so forth. All these, there are more, you can expand it or you can make it very simple. And I'll talk about that briefly in a minute. And then finally, there's swadhyaya, which means that all the practices that go on around deity worship, which means after you finish your your deity worship for the morning, you should chant one chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Because according to our padati, when you chant one chapter of Bhagavad Gita, then you nullify any offenses that you made in the seva. Or, those of you from South India, or anywhere else for that matter, you can chant the whole Vishnu Sahasranam. So if you've got extra time on your hands, you can, do, you can do that. So these are the five stages of deity worship. Now, our process of devotional service runs on two tracks. One Bhagavat Marg, which means chanting Hare Krishna, hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, the association of advanced devotees, and going out on Sankirtan to give other people an opportunity to take to Krishna consciousness. What's that called? Bhagavat Marg. And then we have Panchratrika Vidhi. And the Vidhi of the Panchratrika gets passed down, especially from Narada Muni, it's an abbreviated form of the Vedic process made practical for this age so that anyone can enter into it. The Vedic system isn't valid in this age. You have to grow up in the right environment, right family. But Panchat Trikaviti, anyone can qualify him or her, himself for this process by accepting a bona fide spiritual master in the line of the Panchratra and then uh, becoming purified enough to take vows and then one can enter into deity worship. In fact, the initiation of the Panchatra is mentioned by Bhaktivinoda Thakur's uh, tapa, which means you turn away from the material world 
Pundra, you identify yourself as a Vaishnava and put on Urva Pundra or Tilak, and then you get the Nama, you change your name, and you also take up a vow to chant Hare Krishna, and then you can take Nama, a mantra, the mantra Diksha, which you can accept these mantras, esoteric mantras, with which you can, uh, which from which emanate the Mula mantras, by which you can uh, worship the deity, especially our Krishna mantra, which is our prime, prime mantra. And then we have the, um, we have uh, yaga, or worshiping the deity. All perfection, even prema, comes from chanting Hare Krishna. So why Panchrakshivriti? Because in this age of Kali Yuga, in case you haven't noticed, there are a lot of distractions. Yes? Okay. The ones who didn't say yes, you're probably distracted and didn't hear, hear what I said. So because in this age, there's so many distractions and contaminating aspects of the world that we need to be in a serene state of mind, purified state of mind, at least sattva guna, to chant Hare Krishna with full attention and have full traction in chanting Hare Krishna. Therefore, we also have to keep ourselves, our, our senses engaged in worshipping the deity through the Panchratrik Vidhi. And therefore, Prabhupada used to give this example, that the Bhagavat Marg and the Panchratrik Vidhi, which is deity worship, chanting Gayatri and so forth, they go on two lines like a train. Train runs on two two tracks, and to, for us to go on our journey back home, back to Godhead, we need both the chanting Hare Krishna and deity worship. Now, just a note about deity worship: there are two standards. One standard is the temple standard, in which Krishna is worshipped as a king. It's kingly worship. Everything, the most uh, perfect possible from anywhere in the world. Also, timing is essential. You can't come out 30 seconds late for the Mangal Artik or blow the conch shell uh, a minute early. It has to be exactly on time. The uh, cleanliness level, everything in the temple spotless, and the offerings have to be plentiful, and they have to be uh, cooked by uh, those who have rabbinical status as given through the Panchrachik system and many other aspects of temple worship which are essential for uh, worshipping the deity in the mood of Lakshmi Narayan, that kind of opulence and reverence. Home worship, however, our acharyas say, is a different standard. If you try to hold that standard in your home, then your kids will think, like, when are we going to eat? And say, the offering isn't for two hours. You're going to have to starve till then. Then they'll grow up maybe resenting the deity. There's a way in which at home, there's a feeling that Krishna's part of the family. He owns the house. He's the head of the family, but he's part of the family also. And we also have this sense of reverence, but it's not so intense at home. We have our lives, Right? Hopefully, everyone has a life. And, and we also have emergencies, anybody? Yeah. Does stuff come up for you? There are all kinds of things that happen in the home, and what to speak of when there's kids, especially when they're young, we have to work around that to worship the deity. Krishna doesn't mind. That's why the standard is different for home. And Prabhupada's advice, if you, if you read through all that he said about 
uh, deity worship and home deity worship, practically he said, don't do it. In fact, our deity worship minister for ISKCON doesn't have his own home deities. So let's all go home. <laughs> but Prabhupada did say in other places that grahastas have to worship the deity at home. If you don't have a deity at home, then we, the residents of the house, become the center of everything. But when you have a deity in your house, then Krishna becomes the center, relieves you from the burden of having to be the center of the universe. And when we are able to uh, worship the deity at home, in the mood of uh, <clears throat> Krishna, this is your house, then everything we have is in the Ishavasya spirit. Ishavasamidam sarvam yatkincha jagat yam jagat. Tena chaktena bunjita magrita krasasutanam. Everything is being offered for the sake of the deity. So, um, Prabhupada mentioned that if you live far away from the temple and you can't come to the temple regularly, then worship the deity at home. If there's a choice between going to a festival and helping with the temple worship and staying home and worshiping your deities, he said, don't defer to your home deities. After all, Srila Madhavendrapuri, when he was carrying the sandalwood and he was asked by, by his Gopal deity, he said, offer it to Sakshi Gopal, we're one and the same. Then the, the deity is the same. And if you worship in the temple, then you're also worshiping your home deity. The point is to keep it very simple. Start with what you can do and don't become so elaborate that now you can't do the other aspects of the other angas of bhakti, which are vital, especially chanting Hare Krishna and finishing your rounds and coming to the temple to associate with devotees and worship the deity in the temple. Was that sufficiently balanced or was that confusing? Balanced? balanced. You're just saying that. All right. So it's a, it's a, uh, a momentous occasion when we come together to bring, invite a deity into one's home. There are different ways to install a deity. In fact, home worship means if you start worshiping a deity and you keep worshiping the deity, then the deity is considered installed. Prabhupada, in 1975, we were there for the installation of Krishna Balaram. And Prabhupada had us, Americans and Europeans, at the time, having big Harinam during the installation. Big kirtan, and he wanted us to keep it going. Meanwhile, there were Vedic brahmanas there, and they did every ritual you can imagine. They threw rice in every direction, tied string on anything you could imagine <laughs> tying string on. Uh, and all of it was rightly done. But Prabhupada commented afterwards, in a purport, in his books, that the real installation of the deity was the Hare Krishna mantra chanted by the Western Vaishnavs. Digest that for a minute. <laughs> so, deity worship does not supplant chanting Hare Krishna. In fact, Jiva Goswami says, when you worship the deity or do any other ritual, first chant Hare Krishna, and after you finish, chant Hare Krishna. And for good measure, keep chanting Hare Krishna <laughs> while you're doing it. <laughs> because it's the only thing that's effective in this age. And... It's not a replacement for, for, home, for, for the worshiping the deity in the temple. And also, 
we shouldn't forget to uh, do the work of Lord Chaitanya. And something amazing that you'll find when you read Prabhupada's instructions, that's assuming you haven't, but I, I should assume you have, on worshipping the, the deity. So when devotees asked about worshipping the deity at home, he said, worship Guru Ngaranga. Then when they said, how should we worship Shishi Gornitai? He said, through Sankirtan. Chanarai Krishna. And go spread it to other people. That's how you worship Gornitai. That's the main worship. And offer something. Offer your food to the deity. And offer a little uh, of puja. But don't become preoccupied and forget about the other aspects of devotional service or the main aspects. Om Tat Sat. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Yes, Sachi. Sachi has a question. We'll give you the microphone. She's trying to, living up to the challenge this morning. She said she had a, a question she thought was, what was it? A, not a good question. And I said, I give 100 pounds for bad questions. <laughs> and I have one in my pocket here, so let's try it. Oh, well, in order to offer it to the Lord, we can test it out, you know, ahead of time. You can always ask your um, man at the nursery, or woman, that's this a scented flower, and you can check it out to see. It's not exactly like cooking. But you almost had me. <laughs> but you're not getting the 100 pounds either. Anyone else? Oh, go, Paul. Um, why do we worship in the mood of Lakshmi Narayan? This is because, and, and just to reiterate, there's a way in which although we worship Radha Krishna, Radha Krishna means Raga Nuga Bhakti. Vrindavan means Raga Nuga Bhakti. Raga Nuga Bhakti means uh, Rag Bhakti, Ragatmika Bhakti, spontaneous devotional service to the Lord. But when we're worshiping before, we have Ajata Ruchi, we have a sadhana that is, matches the ajata ruchi, which means that I don't have taste that is spontaneous right now. My taste is from the shastra. I follow the shastra, and I have faith in the scripture. And I have faith in my guru who presents the scripture. But as far as spontaneous love for the Lord, that's not manifest yet. So we have a particular sadhana for that, which is called ajata ruchi, raganuga sadhana bhakti means I'm following the path of the ragatmikas, but I'm doing it before I have taste. Therefore, in order to not speculate and artificially worship the Lord out of some spontaneous idea of spontaneity, I follow the rules and regulations. And when you have rules and regulations, then automatically you're in vidi, a kind of regulated devotional service, and that matches with Lakshmi and Narayan so we don't make offense. Now, when one worships in that way, there's a way that Prabhupada talks about in the Nectar Devotion, that in the beginning, the person may wake up early to worship the Lord and go to the Mangalarti, and it seems like you're in boot camp. In the military, in case you don't know, they have something called boot camp. And boot camp means you're not used to getting up at 3 in the morning, but they definitely wake you up. 
and make you do everything. So in devotional service in the beginning, there's a sense in which we have to perform it in a dutiful way. That I don't have a taste for this, but I appreciate what it is, and therefore we do it. And then Prabhupada said, after we do that for some time, then we may naturally feel like I want to wake up early because, in fact, I want to get up a little earlier than yesterday because, as one devotee in New York City, she was a, a pujari and also a great actress. And she used to come down on cold mornings at 350 West 55th between 8th and 9th in Manhattan when we had that big temple with about 400 devotees who all lived under the same roof. And... Cold mornings meant really cold mornings in New York. I could look out the window and see the thermometer on the bank or down the street, and it would be minus five. And so she would come down and she said, I'm not putting cold clothes on the Lord. And she would heat the iron, and then she'd warm up the clothes, and nice and toasty, she'd put them on the deity. This is trending now towards being more spontaneous because you're thinking naturally, how can I do something for the Lord nice like this? So Prabhupada calls this the awakening levels of spontaneity, but it has to begin with this uh, mood of rules and regulations. Once we had a person who was asked to do some deity worship at the temple, and I came by one day, and the Arctic was going on an hour and a half late. And I waited till the Arctic was over and I said, what's going on? It's 5.30. He said, it's spontaneous. <laughs> you know, we're doing spontaneous devotional service. No, that's not the idea. Even when our mood becomes spontaneous, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, the devotee who's spontaneous in devotional service still follows the external rules and regulations for the sake of others. And in devotional service, we'll always externally follow the vidi, but internally our mood may change and we'll become more and more eager to serve the Lord until there's an awakening, awakening of greed to worship the Lord called lobe. So all that happens in its due course of time, just as like when somebody matures, naturally they come to know about the world and relationships and everything like that. When we're small, we can't understand those things. So we also have to mature in devotional service. In the beginning, we have to worship the Lord through these rules and regulations. And that's about it, except for oh, my revered God-sister was about to make a comment. No, after you, please. Just, a, a, just thank you so much for a very balanced um, uh, talk and um, I wanted to ask if you can make a comment about um, which deities um, are appropriate. We know Shishikori Tai is very versatile but it seemed in the early days many devotees didn't have you know Shilas, Govardhan Shilas, Shalagam Shilas. Now it seems to be very common. Um, and many devotees have Radha Krishna and very elaborate whereas some devotees have just a picture that they welcome and install and offer. So I just was wondering if you could comment on, on that, on which form of uh, Archibald. Uh, what an important question. Thank you very much. Well, Krishna himself, and it's worth reading in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, tells about the process of deity worship. I recommend everyone read that chapter. 
because Krishna tells all the rules. And in one of the one of the in teachings he gives, he talks about the ways in which the deity appears. And there's seven different places that he he appears in metal, metal wood, the paint, meaning in a painting, in jewels, in earth, and also in the mind. That's only six. I'm missing one. And mantra. So there's ways in which uh, the deity can manifest, does manifest in these various ways. Um, the apparent stula, or the material thing, Brahmarpanam Brahmahavir, Brahmagnabramanahutam Krishna, it's all his energy, he's the controller of it, therefore he agrees to appear in various forms. So all of these are valid ways. If you're driving down the street in Loi Bazaar, L-O-I, not L-O-U-I-E, um, in, in Vrindavan, you may see deities everywhere, but you don't get off the rickshaw every shop and offer your dandavats. Because uh, there's a way in which when we set up a picture or we have a deity of any kind, then we establish a relationship and then we begin to give all our energy to that particular deity. So, uh, as far as the question goes, uh, Prabhupada started our movement with a picture, with pictures of Panchatattva. And when devotees ask me which deity they should get, my answer is, get a picture of Panchatattva. Of course, usually the question is, I have these deities already. <laughs> Can I worship them or <laughs> would you, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, Prabhupada most frequently if you look at his uh, writings, recommended that we worship Gornitai because they're so merciful. In our line, we worship Gornitai. We worship Jagannath Baladev Subhadra. And you can think of the doms that we're most interested in. We're interested in three doms particularly. That is, Shri, go ahead, Jagannath Puri for sure. Then Vrindavan and Mayapur. So those three doms, the deities of those three doms, we have Nitai Goranga, we have Radha Krishna, and we have Jagannath Baladi Subhadra. And if, so these, these are our main focus in our Sampradaya. Uh, Balavacharya and the Pushti Marg, they worship Krishna as a little baby, Bal Krishna, something I see 90% of householders have uh, <laughs> a little Bal Krishna because they grew up with him. So I never say, you know... Um, not to, but the main focus of our deity worship is to follow in the footsteps of, of our Sampradaya. Now, what about uh, Govardhan Shila? We, one could argue, based on Raghunath Das Goswami being our Prayojana Acharya and him being personally given that, that deity uh, by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through Surutamadar, that uh, he's our main deity for our mark of uh, Raganuga Bhakti worshipping spontaneously. And Prabhupada um, said about Shalagam Shila, he's the mercy incarnation of the Lord. He writes in his purports that uh, all our centers at some time will have Shalagam Shila. Shalagam Shila is the most malleable of all of Krishna's forms because when you're worshipping a large deity, you can't, as you might want to, pick him up. When you see the deity, it's like, can't I just pick them up? And I just want to hold them. 
Most deities, you can't do that. But Shalagram, you can pick him up, you can massage him, you can hold him in your hand, and, uh, offer him all kinds of little things. And he accepts that on, uh, as a surrogate for any deity that you're worshipping. He'll assume any form. And you can worship the deity according to the um, Haribhakti Vilas. And should we? Well, Prabhupada personally gave Pradumna a Shalagram. And he said, when you can't worship, your wife can. He said, keep him in a box. He said, God in a box. He writes about it in the purport. You can keep God in the box, and then you can open it, bring him out, do a little puja and things like that. Um, so what's best? What's best for the person? It's devotional services according to one's taste. But we should follow our sampradaya because we're aiming somewhere. We're aiming towards Raganuga Bhakti and the path of going back to Vrindavan, Goloka Vrindavan and so forth. And those deities that we're talking about, Jagannath can definitely say that it's the you know based on Rathayatra and Kurukshetra. It's a very, very deep worship of Radha Krishna and Vrindavan and so forth. Om Tat Sat. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. And now it's time for the Puja. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.